I'd like to um, start by saying thank you for inviting me. I'd also like to start um, by saying something that's probably a little bit um, uh, left field, really, uh, without sparing uh, Richard's uh, blushes, how good he is to work with and how lucky you are to have him. Um, he works incredibly hard, I know. And uh, the nice thing I like about him is it's like having a rock in the room. Do you know what I mean? If you were to give him a name, it would be uh, Peter, although that might confuse you if we all did that from now on. Um, So um, it is lovely and it is a joy to be here uh, with you today. And it's great that you can encourage your leaders as well. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself uh, first, because when people come to preach at St. Mary's, all I do when they're preaching is think about, I wonder where they come from, what they've done. So if I get it out of the way, then we can concentrate on the other stuff. So I've been at St. Mary's for about five years now. Uh, my previous uh, work was in Gateshead, in a city, um, working in a very different kind of environment from very posh Beverly. Um, and uh, you probably don't... You probably realise it's uh, there are mixed uh, situations in Beverly as well, but my experience is quite quite different uh, from here. Um, I became a Christian when I was, I think, four, uh, and I remember it really well. And my Sunday school uh, leader at the time said, "If you'd like Jesus to be your friend, you need to think about that very carefully, um, and if you do, you can join me with a little prayer." And I sat and I thought about it. And you know those intense kids you have who think about everything and have an answer for everything? I was one of them. So I had to think about it really carefully. And I remember thinking about it and knowing that if I said yes, this would be really significant and would change my life. And I prayed the prayer. And as I prayed it, I looked out the window and it sounds so twee. And I know it does. There was a big rainbow across the sea. And I knew then that I was uh, a follower of Jesus, and that meant that I had some work to do as well. I went out and told my granddad, who said, never mind, dear, you'll grow out of it. Um, And I guess the reason I tell you that story is because children's ministry is so important. And little Christians are just as important as big Christians. I think there's a story, um, and I can't remember which evangelist tells it. Sorry, I do go off the point a little bit sometimes. But there's an evangelist that tells a story about going to uh, a mission and preaching uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, And he goes back to his wife and he says, uh, we made two and a half Christians uh, today. And his wife says, oh, two adults and one child. And he said, no, two, sorry, I've got it, two and a half, yeah, two, um, two children and one adult, because the adult's halfway through already. Um, and uh, I quite like that. So that's a little bit about me. I'm married to Tom, and we have a little boy called Simon. We're going to think today about Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine, the wedding at Cana. And so I'll just read that for you. I should say, uh, in the Anglican Church, people do this for you, which is... Uh, Uh, really rather nice, but it's lovely to be able to read it myself. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, 
they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted it, that the water had become wine. And he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn from that water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and he remained there for a few days. Well, let's just pray as we come to think about God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that you will give us your wisdom, that you would take our ears and help us to listen, that you would take my lips and help me to speak, and that you would take our hearts and set them on fire for love of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today, the wedding at Cana. I hope you're able to see it. You don't have to be able to read everything that's up there. This is what we're going to look at today. And I quite like visual stuff because it helps me think and helps me remember. Uh, So hopefully, the technology will work. But I'd just like you to imagine a scene as we start. And it's a laundrette. I guess some of you are probably too young to remember laundrettes unless you go camping in the Lake District. There are lots there. And in the laundrette, the uh, women are gathered. Um, Men can use washing machines too, but in this particular story, uh, the women are gathered. And they are a group, uh, there's a group of Catholic women and a group uh, of Jewish women. And they're talking about their families. And sometimes we have a tendency to brag a little bit, don't we, about how people are doing. And so uh, one of the Catholic mums says, do you know what, my son, he is being made a priest this week. And all the other Catholic mums nod and, and, uh, and encourage her. Oh, that's exciting, they say. In the corner of the room, uh, the Jewish mum goes, hmm. you know how sometimes people do, doesn't seem very impressed. And the next lady stands forward and says, well, my son, he's been made a Monsignor. Wow. They all start chattering away. That's exciting, they think. The Jewish mum in the corner does exactly the same, looks incredibly unimpressed and sighs loudly. And then the third of the Catholic mum stands up. It's a very, very Catholic place, this. And says, well, my son next month is being made Cardinal. There is stunned silence and then enormous chatter. 
But in the corner of the room, the Jewish mom goes, so what? One of the Catholic moms goes over to her and she is enraged. We've all been talking about what our sons have been doing and how successful they are. What do you want? Do you want them to be Jesus Christ? And the Jewish mom says, well, one of our lads made it. (laughs) And it would be easy to think um, when we look at the story of, sorry, my thing stopped for a moment. When we look at the story of um, Jesus turning water into wine, oops, there we are, that this is a story uh, about a mother's pride. It's Mary, did you notice, who persuades Jesus to do his first miracle. Isn't that extraordinary? Don't you find it unusual? It's Mary. And now, I'd just like to say a few things about Mary. Um, We have this image of Mary as being meek and mild. I think this is nonsense. Mary, when she was a young girl, was met by an angel who generally tended to terrify people and asked if she would do the most important job that she could do of her life, which was to carry Jesus. She was somebody who never had children, wasn't yet married, and God says to her, you are going to have a child. Now, having had a child, that is pretty terrifying, not least because once you realize you're having one, you realize they have to come out again, and that's scary enough. But then you realize you have to look after them and care for them. Now imagine if it was the Son of God that you were called to carry. That is pretty huge. And so Mary, I don't think she was meek and mild. I think she was amazing. Listen to the song that she sings where she talks about the rich being brought down low and the poor being exalted. In the Church of England, they call it the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. And it is so powerful. And so Mary, never mind meek and mild, she was a woman of God who was brave, actually, and courageous. And you know what? When all the others had scarpered at the cross, who was there? Apart from a few other women. Mary, watching her own son die. And she appears in the book of Acts as well, and later on in the early church. So let's not underestimate this powerful and extraordinary woman. And it's her that says to Jesus, look, they've run out of wine. What are we going to do about it? And Jesus, of course, we know, uh, responds. But isn't it interesting that to start with, It's clever in this place. Isn't it interesting that they're at a wedding in the first place? Now, I don't imagine for one minute, those of you historians, it looked anything like this. But actually, I found it helpful because you pick up the excitement of what a wedding is all about. And isn't it interesting that Jesus was there as part of everyday life, blessing this wedding with his friends And it was a big party and a big uh, celebration. And of course, it was the coming together of two people who are going to uh, spend their lives together. 
And in the Bible, weddings are really important, not least because human beings are made to be in community with one another and getting married is one way of doing that. Not everybody gets married and of course celibacy is a very important thing as well. But weddings are important also because when we talk of the love between a man and a woman in the Old Testament in the book of the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs as it's sometimes called, you find that the love between a man and woman is supposed to represent the love between God and his people. That's how that's used. And it's really powerful. In fact, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it until they were a certain age because they were so worried they might get ideas. And it talks about deep and passionate love. So Jesus is here and he's at a wedding and he's with his friends and he's getting involved with everything that it means to be human. Jesus, the son of God, is here at this wedding. And this miracle that he does at this place is the first miracle, the first of the signs. Sorry, if you cannot see very well, I will read bits out. It's the first miracle. Miracles are signs of God's glory. They indicate what God is going to do. And Jesus does this to reveal his glory It's a significant act. All miracles in the Bible that Jesus does are not about wonder working. Jesus is not interested in that. When they want to make him king, he says no. They are all about bringing God's compassion to the world, but also about communicating something that God is doing In a way, they function a little bit like parables. They communicate what God's intention is. And so this miracle ought to be revealing. It ought to be really important. But I'm going to be really honest with you and say that some Christians find this miracle quite difficult. Why this miracle of all? Why turn water into wine? So why miracles? Why does God need to intervene in the world? Why didn't he just set it up so that there's no disorder, that everything is going to happen by a set pattern, that there's no need for it? Well, of course, God, we know in Genesis, gave the world and his people freedom to make choices. And what happened in the story? People misused that freedom and there were consequences. And consequences not only for individuals, but for the whole of creation. And actually, we've all experienced that when we've experienced death and loss or sadness and sorrow. But that's not God's plan and purpose for the world. We just live in the in-between times before the fulfillment and everything is brought into wholeness and we will live as God's people made whole. So... God intervenes with miracles to communicate what his plan and intention is. And he does it in ways that we can understand. And he does it supremely through Jesus Christ. So, but what better way to communicate that God does not want a world where people die than to bring Lazarus back to life? It's pretty unsubtle. 
as it goes. Because we are very good at missing what God is doing. And so Jesus is the way in which we hear what God's intention is for us. But why now? Why at this point? Because if you're listening carefully or if you have your Bibles in front of you, you will know that Jesus says, my time has not yet come. It is not the right moment. And there's all sorts of debate about what that means. What what does he mean? Well, maybe he is saying, well, actually, my ministry is, is not about to start yet. I don't want it to start just yet. I don't want it to start because I know where it's going. It's going to the cross and it has to be the right time and it has to be God's time. Given he says, my time has not yet come, how is it he then does the miracle anyway? It's really interesting that. And maybe it's something about people needing to petition and ask. God honors prayers when we pray. God honors our requests. They don't always turn out the way we exactly want them to, but God does honor them. And so maybe there's something about that and something we can learn about that. And why so much? Why does he create so much abundant wine? Well, that is the theme of our thinking today. Um, It's all about extravagant extravagant grace, as you'll notice. Okay, so why miracles? We talked a little bit about that already. And why this um, God's world is mysterious. God wants to surprise us. He does that sometimes. And he also wants to communicate with us through the miraculous. So why this miracle? Why not some other miracles? Why doesn't he make somebody walk for his first miracle? Why doesn't he heal a leper? Well, you could say, well, it's going to be pretty difficult for the bridegroom and his wife. There would be huge social disgrace for not having catered for the whole village. So he wants to avoid that. So he cares about that. Maybe Jesus just likes a party. I have heard people preach whole sermons on Jesus liked a party. Um, I think that's probably a little bit twee. Uh, but certainly there is something that we'll come back to uh, that that might pick up on. Certainly Jesus is moved by compassion to those in need. But again, why this rather than something extraordinary that seems to bring life in a new way? Because let's be honest, once the party's over and the social disgrace disappeared, there are many other things we could think of. If it was a Miss World um, competition and I was there by some miracle and I stood up and they said, what do you most desire for the world? And I said, a whole amount of red wine uh, rather than world peace. I think people might be a bit miffed. It would certainly get in the papers. To be honest, it get in the papers if it got there in the first place. Um, uh, but nonetheless, why this miracle? Why water into wine? Why not something else? Well, I think this is about God's extravagance. 
And it's about communicating a message that God is about to do something new. And we'll pick up on that later on. Why now then? Why now? His time has not yet come, he says. Is he just getting pressure from his mum? Do you have those mums who do what my mum does, which is, would you like some more roast potatoes? And you say no, and they put it on your plate anyway. And it feels a bit like Mary's doing that. And Jesus gets really cross with her. He says, what do you want with me, woman? Now, let me tell you, if my little boy called me woman, he would not be very popular. But what do you want with me? What has this got to do with us? The Greek phrase that is used, you and me, is the same phrase that Jesus used when he encounters demons. And he says to them, what have you to do with me? It's really quite firm. That's the understatement of the century. And so he seems quite angry that he's being pressured into something by his mother. And yet he does it anyway. And Why is that? Is it perhaps because he's moved with compassion? Is it because he wanted us to know that we have to ask? I don't have all the answers to that. In fact, I have not found a scholar who can sew that up really tidily for us. But what we do know is that Jesus does respond. And he responds in style. Why so much? I mean, goodness me. Six stone water jars holding 20 or 30 gallons. Even given the whole village is there, and we know this village wasn't insignificant, it was also Nathaniel's home, but even knowing that, why would you make so much? This is too much for that size of party. And besides which, they've already been drinking to start with. Why so much? Again, it is that extravagance that we get, that abundance. And it's not just the amount, but it's the quality of the wine. This isn't your cheap, oh, I don't say a supermarket. This isn't your cheap Asda stuff or whatever. This is your best quality wine you have ever tasted. And people are really shocked by it. So why so much and why so good? Well, again, it's about that utter extravagance of God. Imagine the party once they had drunk that wine. It's going to be a pretty amazing party. God's love, God's extravagance for us is far beyond what we can imagine. And in all of this, we learn something about joy and God's concern, not just for our sorrows, but for our joys. Let me just read you something. I have to say, I'm very slightly uh, dyslexic, so if my pronunciation is wrong, please forgive me. Um, And I am no great literary scholar, so some of you will know this better than I, but I came across 
um, uh, a man called Richard Borkham who talks about Dostoevsky's novel, The Brothers Karmavo, or Kamavo, however you pronounce it. And it, there's a chapter called The Sea of uh, Galilee, in which, which Dostoevsky said was the most important chapter in his novel. And it happens to talk about the miracle that we're looking at today. In the story, Alicia, who had been attending to become a monk, has an experience in which he enters into his true vocation. His beloved teacher has died, and that teacher had told him that after his life, Alicia was not to stay at the monastery, but to go out into the world and to live like Christ among his people. Up to this point, Alicia had been sad about this, but now he embraces his new vocation joyfully, and the experience begins as he listens to the rereading of the story of the wedding at Cana. Oh, that miracle, he says, as he recognizes what the reading is. What sweet miracle. That was not people's grief. It was their joy that Christ was sharing when he performed that miracle. He was helping to share their joy. Whoever loves people loves their joys too. Alicia, who loves Christ, enters into the simple joys of ordinary people. It's a very simple and straightforward reading of the text, but actually it's really important because at churches we can sometimes think so much about caring for those who are suffering or in grief that we forget to celebrate the joys as well and to praise God for them. And yet Christ himself was there celebrating the joy of a wedding. I have a great privilege of doing an awful lot of weddings. I've got 34 weddings I'm doing this year. And I get to enter into the joy of those weddings. And we talk about God's joy for them. And we talk about what the Bible talks about in terms of marriage. And we explain that the love that they found to each other is just a foreshadow and a fraction of the love that God has for each one of them. And you know what? We've got a house group now with four people in it who have all found that love for themselves through getting married. It's a different kind of mission strategy. I will, you know, it's not for everyone, but... It's powerful. We need to share in the joys of people's life as well as their sorrows. The other thing about this passage is, you know how I said miracles teach? Well, this one teaches about a new age. It is a sign, a symbol of the new messianic age to come. That is when Jesus, when God's work will be shown. And if you go back into the Old Testament to Amos, a sign of that age will be the mountains dripping with sweet wine and the hills flowing with that wine. Wine is a symbol of prosperity in the Old Testament, of God's grace, of God's um, doing a new thing. And so when Jesus turns water into wine, he is signifying that. And people would have known It's not like our culture where we don't know our scriptures, 
The people that Jesus was dealing with would have known what this was referring to. And they would have been able to get hold of that. And so it is a symbol of something extraordinary that is about to happen and something new. Very powerful, isn't it? This miracle is not just about salvation, but it is about life and life in all its fullness. It is about God's extravagant abundance, far more than we can imagine and get hold of. That does not mean that we're all suddenly going to get a personality transplant. Doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy and straightforward. You know that, I know that. It doesn't mean we're all going to turn into the uh, nun from Sister Act. Has anyone seen Sister Act? The nun is so bubbly and uh, Whoopi Goldberg asks her why she's a nun and she says, well, my mother said I could either be a a hostess or a nun. Um, She's fabulous. But we're not all going to be that. That's not what it's about. It's not about pretending uh, life is different from the way it is. Actually, it's really difficult when you meet people who don't seem to have any awareness of how life is and how it can be difficult. But it's about knowing that deep down, God is at work and God brings life and life in all its fullness. It doesn't mean that when we come to church, we always have to be happy people and that makes us Christians. But it does mean that we know that underneath it all and beyond it all, God is with us. And God in time will do a new thing. We have to not make it twee. We have to be realistic and honest. For those of us who are going through hard times, and there'll be some of us here, saying, oh, it'll be all right. You don't have to worry. It's quite hard to hear. We have to be honest that actually, sometimes life is rubbish. Some things don't work out as we want them to. We're not preaching here a prosperity gospel where God suddenly takes away the reality of suffering. Heaven forbid, Jesus was the God with us who died on the cross. It doesn't make life easy in the sense that we are disconnected from reality. When Jesus became human, he became fully human and experienced all of life and all the challenges. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Please don't. Please don't make me go through this. But if it's your will, I will do it. So it's not about surface stuff. This is really, really deep, life-changing and extraordinary. So I'd like you to imagine for a moment that you're at this wedding feast. Turn to your neighbor, because some of you might have drifted off to sleep, uh, and uh, tell them one thing 
that you think you have discovered through hearing this story of Jesus at the wedding feast. Okay? You have three and a half minutes. Okay, anyone like to share their thoughts? Anyone brave enough? Anyone brave enough? I think you're all talking about Coronation Street otherwise, or EastEnders. <laughs> yeah. Good, come on. I like the bit in the story, which I don't think we've actually heard yet because I know it, where having produced all this wine... Some of the guests say to the host, you've, oh, we did hear it, you did mention it, you saved the best till last. And the thing that I find is that when golf solves a problem for us or deals with an issue for us, it isn't a compromise solution. Just like you said on the cross, you know, it's finished. It goes beyond what would be adequate. In this situation, not only were the, the blushes of the host spared, he was actually got credit for the outcome because the wine was the best they tasted all evening, despite the fact it had a bit already. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Because yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes when you don't want to do something, you'll just sort of like dig your heels in and um, be just refuse to do it. But he didn't just not just do what his mum wanted. He um, did it with real good good grace and yeah, rather than just like doing the minimum. He, yeah. We just shared the three of us and how uniquely that we're individually made and through your story and that Jesus was getting to all. We all heard and God has challenged in a different way from what you've been saying. So for mine was prophetic. We've got someone else who then wants to read further and there was another opening up of pure joy. So it's interesting that, you know, not only are we learning that we're on that journey that he reaches to us uniquely where we are with the word that's being preached. Thank you. Interesting that Mary, when when she took the problem to him, and he said very, very firmly, what's it got to do with me or you? And... um, you know, instead of recoiling and being so hurt, she promptly went to the servants and said, so what? She, you know, she knew that he was that, that he was already in business and uh, that she, well, because he was her father, that he could take it. And that was, that was very interesting. She didn't, If you didn't quite hear that, Mary just went for it. She didn't quibble. She went for it anyway. Well, this is all very well, but the important question we always ask when we're a church gathered together is, what does it mean for us as a church? Now, there's a philosopher called Kierkegaard who uh, says this, or something like this, because I never have notes. And he says something like this, which is, Uh, Jesus did something extraordinary when he turned water into wine. The church has done something even more extraordinary when it has turned wine into water.
And I thought that was a really powerful uh, statement, actually, that too often, whatever our tradition or background or church, we can lose the power of God's grace. We can underestimate it. We can become lukewarm about it. I think there's a church in Revelation that's told off for that. And we can do it easily. It doesn't matter what our tradition is. But when the spirit is not allowed to work, we too easily turn wine into water. We too easily dumb down the extraordinary grace of God. The extraordinary and extravagant and beyond our measure understanding of God's grace. So I would like to say that there are a few things that the church, and possibly this church, but you know I'm only here today, so it might not fit you, but hopefully something will, um, can learn from this story. And the first thing, if you've missed it, is this story is all about the extravagant grace of God. It is about God's abundant love for us that is beyond our understanding and our comprehension. It's about God loving us so much that he gave his son to die for us. It is about God entering into our world. It is extravagant and powerful and extraordinary grace. And I just wonder if we communicate that well enough. And if we hear it often enough. And if we hear God's words to us that remind us that we are his beloved children. And through Jesus Christ, not in our own glory, but through him, we can stand in his grace. Do we then remember to live life to the full? And that isn't about having parties. Some of us, me, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. Give me a cup of tea and a, a nice um, kind of detective thing that I can solve before everyone else in the room. I'm very happy. It's not necessarily about becoming different uh, personalities. But it's about living life to the full. Wherever we are, we expect to see God at work. And that doesn't mean he will work in the way we decide he's going to work. He might work quietly and subtly. And he might work with huge power. And he might work in ways that you are understanding and used to. But he might work in very different ways as well. And so we need to live life to the full. Isn't it interesting that this wedding is the most extraordinary and radical hospitality you've ever come across? If you went to this wedding, you would be talking about it for a few weeks afterwards. You'd be telling people about the extravagant hospitality of God. And do you know what? It's hard work, real hospitality. Real welcome. Do you know one of the things that stops the church growing is not being kind to people as they walk through the door and saying, hello, it's nice to see you. 
actually the evidence is that people think, well, that's okay. But what they really want is connections that mean they really belong. Just saying, hello, how are you every week? I mean, by all means, don't jump on them. You'll terrify them. But they want real relationships. That's what we all hope for, isn't it? Genuine relationships with others and with God. So radical hospitality. And it did occur to me, and this isn't in the story directly, but it did occur to me, what if, what if the steward had gone, this is jolly nice wine. I'll put it in the cellar and we'll sell it later. What if it had not made it to the wedding feast? What if he hadn't shared it? Who would miss out? All of the people there, but also the person who was supposed to be sharing it. Because actually, it's in giving away, sharing God's love and grace, that we receive so much more than we can imagine. We are called to share the message of God's love with others. And this powerful demonstration of water into wine. That extravagant grace is something we can't keep to ourselves. It's something that is meant to be shared with our community, with the whole village, with the whole town. If you want to go wild, the whole of the north of England. But you might, that's a big one. Okay. But it is meant to be shared. And another thing that's quite interesting is that it was the servants. You might not have picked this up. But only the servants who drew the water, knew where it had come from. These people are the least likely to be the ones that bear God's message yet again. Tiny little place, backwater, Bethlehem. Unlikely girl gets pregnant through God's Holy Spirit. And God does a new thing. Baby born, not where people thought he might be born, near King Herod's palace, but three miles away in Bethlehem, in a cowshed. The servants are the ones who have the message. And too often, we think we know where God is going to speak from. And too often, He surprises us. And it is the least likely people that you would expect to be powerful witnesses to God's presence. Again, I'm going to get you to turn to your neighbors now and ask one another what that means for your church. Oh, Oh, I can't do it. There we are. This question. What does this story mean for us as a church? Okay, I'm not going to be really naughty uh, and take lots of suggestions and then promise uh, that you and your ministry team are going to agree to them. But what you need to do is you need to bring them to Richard and the team. If there's something practical that God has said to you today from this, bring it to your team and pray about it together and see what happens. Because something will.
And what does it mean for us as individuals? Well, I have a good friend um, who um, I was lucky enough to call my colleague, and he said this. You might want to pray through this story with your own disappointments in mind, remembering that transformation only came when someone took Mary's works seriously. Do whatever he tells you. Shall I say that again? This is Tom Wright. Uh, Some of you might know him. You might want to pray through this story with your own disappointments in mind, remembering that transformation only came when somebody took Mary's words seriously. Do whatever he tells you. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your extraordinary and extravagant grace. We thank you that you give beyond our understanding and beyond our measure. And we pray, Lord, that as we come to this story today, we might remember that you transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And that through your spirit, you call us to share that message with our community, with our friends, and with our neighbors. May we know, may we know that extravagant and extraordinary and passionate grace of God. That whatever we face, God will be with us. And that we may know that we are his beloved children. Amen.